key data and insightful analysis that you can use for your fundraising from the latest philanthropic landscape. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the Fundraising School. I'm joined today by Peter Hoskow. He's the Principal and Managing Director of CCS Fundraising out of their office in Chicago. And he also is a member of the Board of Visitors at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, in which resides the Fundraising School. And Peter, great to have you with us on the Fundraising School's podcast. Thanks, Bill. It's great to be with you. Appreciate the invitation. This is the 11th Philanthropic Landscape Report from CCS Fundraising. And you know, one of the first questions as fundraisers dive into this report is, what's a distinction, for example, between Giving USA, which as you know, our school publishes and your firm supports, uh, and also this report? What are some of the distinctions that fundraisers can see? Well, thanks for asking, Bill. Yeah, you know, as you said, this is the 11th edition of the CCS Philanthropic Landscape Report. And I think going back to its genesis, it's sort of fun. We were working with a client partner uh, who is a leading philanthropist known by most or all. And he was wanting to know really a digest of all things pertinent in philanthropy at that moment in time. And so we set about answering that question uh, for and on behalf of that particular client partner. And so what it is, is the, the CCS Philanthropic Landscape Report really is a resource that compiles and analyzes industry research to provide a synthesis of the current state of philanthropy. And it certainly leans upon Giving USA, but so many others as well that are highly relied upon resources and reports uh, to really provide the country's leading fundraising experts and organizations with the most up-to-date pulse of what's out there and the relevant data that undergirds it. So there are many different highly reliable reports that are knit together into a wonderful tapestry of information uh, seasoned with analysis from CCS fundraising. Now, first thing, folks, I, I just need to give you a heads up. Don't get distracted by the photo of Oprah. You just need to keep going after you see that photo of Oprah there on the cover. I'm guessing, Peter, maybe that was the latest gathering at your home. Uh, what, uh, what are some of the key findings from this year's report, the 11th report on the philanthropic landscape? Yeah, I think this year what we're trying to do is assess what is a new normal for so many organizations, so many uh, nonprofit leaders and fundraisers for philanthropy. And now that we have settled into a post-COVID moment uh, for organizations, the report really analyzes changes from that initial period of disruption and identifies some of those uh, um, uh, items that seem likely to endure and what new and emerging trends nonprofit leaders and fundraisers will want to monitor. And a key one of those, Bill, you can't go too much further than the economy today. Uh, we're certainly in a topsy-turvy moment as it relates to uh, the overall economy. We all know that in 2021, the, the, uh, the stock market took a very significant rise. And so if you look at the major indices, the S&P 500 was up better than 26% in 21. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 18.7%. And the NASDAQ Composite was up 21.4%. But already in 2022, just halfway through the year, those numbers go right back to where they started almost. The S&P is down 20.4%, Dow Jones 15.6%, and the NASDAQ down a whopping 29.6%. 0.6% in the first half of 22. So there are undoubtedly uh, uh, a set of economic headwinds that 
fundraisers and nonprofit organizations are facing and just how to settle this out through activity, programming, and of course, fundraising is one of the key questions that I think so many leaders are contemplating. Peter, if I could ask you, and I, I understand that you have long-term relationships with your clients, and these are, are detailed, deep conversations. But if I could ask you, just kind of within the time frame we have for this podcast, any advice that you have for fundraisers as they're thinking about these economic headwinds? You mentioned the stock market, as you know, uh, our school shows that the S&P 500 from January to December is highly correlated with charitable giving the following year. We also know that any time the inflation rate is higher than 5%, that can have a dampening effect on charitable giving. And as we record this podcast, both leading indicators of inflation, one is uh, higher than 6%, the other is higher than 8%. And we're getting this question all the time, including when we teach at Chicago uh, at the fundraising school, how should I fundraise with these economic headwinds? Can, can you give us some good summary advice for fundraisers to hold on to? Well, you know, I think first and foremost, we are in, 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 the, uh, in this space. We're also grateful to the Giving USA report and the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy and the research and analysis that flows from uh, the, this great organization, where, of course, I'm proud to serve as a member of the, uh, the Board of Visitors. Um, and what we know from that data year over year over year is that fundraising is resilient and that uh, though the trends you pointed out are known to be true, um, Americans are generous and uh, they are generous in a very resilient and charitable way. And so I think the first piece of advice is stay the course. Uh, we know that organizations will succeed if they do their best to not allow outside circumstances to overly drive their internal strategies and objectives. So I think that's point one. I think point two is to not overlook the, uh, the critical importance of individual giving, which drives the day as it relates to fundraising. And when we think of individuals, be they our neighbors, our friends, our family members, each individual situation does vary. And so it's our job as fundraisers and as organizational representatives to continue to put out into the world the good work that's taking place, that's being accomplished through our programs, the cases for supports that are being advanced by our organizations, and to continually invite people to be generous because we know that the data tells us they will be generous in a resilient way. Now we can't be tin-eared or hard-headed. We have to be sensitive and um, you know, uh, aware of, of our surroundings and current conditions. But I do think it's really important to just stay the course. Wonderful advice from a leading expert in fundraising, Peter Hoskow, CCS Fundraising. Uh, and again, our school's research shows on average, every recession is different. Uh, and we may or may not even be in a recession as we record this. But when economic times are tough, charitable giving at most goes down about one half of 1% after adjusting for inflation. And that speaks to the resiliency that Peter described so well there. Uh, Peter, a couple other things that, that caught my attention as I scanned through the report, the importance of volunteerism and connecting our volunteers with opportunities to donate. What's the analysis there and, and how can fundraisers use that? Well, yeah, thanks for pointing it out, Bill. It is so true that uh, as, as organizational leaders, as fundraisers, we need to be highly attuned to those individuals that are helping to propel the work of our organization on a daily basis. And certainly that is the case with volunteers. So some of the data points, Bill, 77 million Americans volunteer. And that represents about 23% of the US population. 
But I think what's important for us to keep in mind as fundraisers is that 76% of those that volunteer give to the nonprofit that they volunteer with. And so one of those uh, constituents that are sort of closest to the core of the advancement of your mission are volunteers. And we need to play them careful and thoughtful mind, make sure that we're stewarding their time and inviting their generosity from a financial standpoint to give to the greatest need of the organization. This particular report is looking back to 2021 and parts of 2020, helping us plan for 2022 and beyond. And of course, Peter, in that time frame captured by this report uh, is the increased awareness around racial and social justice and reconciliation. What lessons did we learn from the last couple of years regarding charitable giving? And do you expect those lessons to continue to be applied as it relates to donor behavior as we move forward in this area of racial and social justice and reconciliation? Yeah, we do. And, you know, we saw, I think, so many of the trends that were illuminated in uh, the Giving USA report from 2021, of course, reflecting on 2020's giving. Uh, and with the racial reckoning that we all um, uh, witnessed, there was, and I think remains, to your question, a renewed attention and support of racial justice issues that really drove significant increases in giving. And there's a handful of statistics that our report attempts to shine light on that I think will um, uh, continue into the future, but we know this to be the case looking back into the last two years. Two in five U.S. households supported or were involved in racial justice protests. One in seven U.S. households gave, you know, uh, financially uh, donated to support racial causes and organizations. And one in four U.S. households supported racial justice in some form, including both financial and non-financial measures of generosity. These levels of participation, levels of involvement are undoubtedly up. And we do expect, frankly, we hope that they continue as time goes on, but they've had great impact on um, uh, the, the way in which cases for support are developed, the way in which asking takes place. And ultimately, as these statistics, I think, highlight the way in which people are stepping up to meet this important moment in society. And they're stepping up on this and other issues collectively. You know, at the School of Philanthropy, we teach that despite any differences and disagreements that we have in society, and there are many, philanthropy is still a place that people can come together. And I was very interested to see the section on what your firm is seeing, an increase in collective giving, people joining together in their charitable giving. Can you help us explain, uh, understand that, please? Yeah, we are seeing that. And, you know, it, it, I think it ticks and ties with some of the remarkable phenomenon that we're all witnessing and participating in as it relates to social media and digital giving. But organizations that align with a similar outlook or a similar set of issue areas are combining their giving and elevating their giving in a way that we haven't seen in the past. And so it goes, some of the data that's captured in our report as it relates to organizations that have found their social media footprint expand. You know, gone are the days that it's a good idea to get onto social media. If you're not there, you're well behind. And digital giving likewise, Bill, we see and we've watched that this is one of the fastest areas of giving over the last 10, 15 years. And it now rests at about 12% of overall giving. And as we say at CCS, you know, for so long we watched patiently as the increase was significant, but the overall percentage was in the single digits hovering around six, seven, eight percent. And 12 percent is most certainly bigger than a bread box. This is not a 
passing trend, this is a significant and growing portion of overall giving that we'll all continue to evolve our fundraising programs to engage and welcome. Okay, my friend, time to get into prediction business here. When you talk about, is this a passing trend or a developing trend in digital fundraising? I'm going to ask you the question we get all the time at the fundraising school. What about cryptocurrency? Tom Brady says I should be all in. Elon says I should be all in. Crypto's lost two thirds of its value since they were saying that back on Super Bowl Sunday. Um, but we had Crypto Giving Tuesday in December of 2021. Uh, a, a big international nonprofit, Charity Water, their entire comprehensive campaign is crypto giving. Is this a fad or is this something that uh, fundraisers need to prepare for, plan for, and be a part of? What do you think? Well, it's a great question, Bill, and I'll resist the urge to turn the question back to the interviewer asking if, Bill, if you're a holder of cryptocurrency. But I will say this. This is, uh, this is clearly uh, on the minds of many, as you well point out. Again, some of the statistics here, 20% of U.S. investors own cryptocurrency. And when you look at it through the lens of um, generations, what we understand is that one in three millennials who invest own cryptocurrency. Now, you, you've mentioned some of the points there that as a, as a way of giving, it is a significant area of interest and increasingly, it, it's increasing importantly, uh, but it's not yet easy. Uh, there's a fidelity uh, uh, charitable study that is, again, highlighted in the, in the philanthropic landscape that CCS has published here. And it indicates that those that participated in this study, 46 said that it's difficult to find a charity that will accept cryptocurrency. And 44% of the participants in that study indicated that to give cryptocurrency still remains a very cumbersome exercise. So I think though it is an area of great interest, though there is a higher number of investors who are holding cryptocurrency as one of their many assets, it's still not an easily pursued way to give. So there's opportunity there for organizations and organizational leaders. And our teaching at the fundraising school, be ready, learn about this. You can always hook up with somebody like the Giving Block, a so-called cryptocurrency exchange. Uh, and again, our guidance is to sell and disperse that right away, just like you would a stock gift. Um, you know, and, and people look at Crypto Giving Tuesday and say, well, it only raised $3 million. Well, the first year of regular Giving Tuesday only raised $10 million. Now they're at nearly $3 billion. Not saying the same thing's going to happen with crypto. We're saying is you need to watch this and be ready. And, you know, Peter, last question here, and there's so much more in the report that we encourage people to obtain. You mentioned, you know, one in three millennials holding crypto. The report makes a very interesting analysis from CCS fundraising about the need to make sure we're paying attention to not just millennials, but also Generation Z, that there's some interesting survey data out there about what Generation Z is telling us about what they're doing and what they want to do with their charitable giving. Well, it's such an interesting topic to look at giving, again, through the lens of generations. And we do know, Bill, that giving remains, despite the uh, significant and important increase of digital giving, the onset now of cryptocurrency as a, as a uh, way to be generous, giving is remains to be a function of age. And so that when we look at the generations, we see sort of a cascading percentage of donors by generation. The silent generation, 88% are giving to charity. Baby boomers, 75%. Gen X, 55%. Millennials, 51%. And then Gen Z, as you point out, 44%. 
And these are individuals that care a great deal about impact and want to be able to engage with the organizations that they are supporting in a real-time way and understand information and impact information in a real-time way. Likewise, the average gift given by generations, again, sort of declines by generation. That is, that is expected. Uh, we, we, we gain assets and we gain uh, connection to organizations over time, but we know that there are ways, there are methods, there are tactics to accelerate the engagement of the younger generations. And we're seeing that by, you mentioned Cherry Water, some of the more recognizable organizations that have really found the angle on this and it's been fun to watch. But generational giving, I think, remains a very interesting area of study. And I don't think we can be, um, we can't take our eye off the ball that giving is a function of age, but why participation is necessary. We all talk about and are vexed by this dollars up, donors down phenomenon. And I think one way to stem that tide is to do a better job of engaging younger donors earlier in their philanthropic journey. And not just be planning for where they are today, but as Peter mentioned, where they could be going over time as income increases, assets and wealth increase, their connections and relationships increase. Uh, just quickly about millennials, they're starting to buy houses, they're starting to become parents, they're starting to exhibit other behaviors that historically have been associated with charitable giving. Uh, so it's certainly a trend to watch. There's so much more in this report. We've only just scratched the surface. It's a free report. Peter, how can people obtain the 11th edition of the Philanthropy Landscape Report from CCS Fundraising. Thanks for asking, Bill. Yes, you, if, if uh, you're interested in downloading the report, please feel free to go to the CCS website, ccsfundraising.com, and you'll be able to quickly download a PDF. And it is, it's a voluminous report. We hope it gets to the point and really digests some of the most relied upon uh, data, scholarship, and report out there. And really appreciate the opportunity to visit with you about it, Bill. Evidence-based fundraising, we certainly have success stories, but when we have the data backing us up, we can fundraise with greater confidence, which is our story here at the Fundraising School. Uh, our public courses, nearly two dozen of them, offered in Indianapolis, Chicago, and other cities across the United States in person, as well as online, anywhere across the world. Our courses are evidence-based, with research from the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy and other great resources like CCS Fundraising. We also have custom training, we can bring one of those courses just to your nonprofit, your county, your association, or we can take a little bit of this course, a little bit of that course, knit it all together for you in a custom training package, uh, whatever works best for you. Again, anywhere in the U.S. and around the world. We have quarterly webinars and, of course, these free podcasts. Also, we have the fifth edition of Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the premier textbook gathering wisdom, evidence-based guidance on fundraising uh, from the fundraising school. All of this on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. A lot of gratitude today to Peter Hostkow, member of our board of visitors at the School of Philanthropy, and he is the principal managing director at CCS Fundraising out of their Chicago office. Our producers today are Jennifer Boffman and Mike Anthony. I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the fundraising school. Mm -hmm.